Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about how they do their thing. This week, my guest is journalist and blogger Greg Hernandez. He's the man behind the popular blog Greg in Hollywood, which covers the intersection of Hollywood and pop culture and LGBT issues. I always see him out and about, and I always love reading what he writes because he's such a supporter of, of gay artists, and he's got a great tone. He's not snarky. He's encouraging and cool, and I really like him. So before we get to Greg, though, I want to encourage you guys to check out DennisAnyone.net. You can see pictures that go with some of the podcasts that I do. You can donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me keep the podcast free and pay for little expenses that come up. And you can also email me through that through that website if you want to do that. Also, I would encourage you to like Dennis Anyone on Facebook and follow me on Twitter at Hensley Dennis. Uh, Instagram, Dennis C. Hensley. Why couldn't I just get them all the same? I couldn't. I tried. Anyway, I'm a horrible brander. I would be kicked out of the Kardashian family so fast. Um, I also want to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. I have a Patreon page where once a month I post an exclusive episode just for Patreon members. And that's going to be coming up soon for the month of March. So you'll hear more about that. Um, but thank you to all of them. If you want to learn more about that, go to patreon.com and just search for Dennis Anyone. Also, the link is on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. All right. That's all the business. And here, without any further ado, is Greg Hernandez. All right. I'm here in the beautiful uh, Silver Lake guest house of my guest today, Greg Hernandez. He's the man behind the blog, Greg in Hollywood. This view is fantastic. You've got the... Um, you, you face... West and then as the sun's going down, it's just like glorious. Yeah, you get some really good sunsets. Yes, I'm like I could chill. And then it's you awesome. learn that your friends can only handle so many beautiful sunset pictures on Facebook and Instagram. You you hit your limit. You maxed out. They, they start to resent you, right? Exactly, because <laughs> they're in some place where they are miserable. Yes, and so, all of that. <laughs> so I just enjoy them myself, and it's really nice to sort of unwind after a day's work. Yeah, it's yeah. really like okay. Right. A nice little lemon Pellegrino thing or whatever, drug of choice, whatever yes. it is. Yes. <laughs> um, what, you're celebrating a big landmark this month or this week. Well, it's the eighth anniversary of Greg in Hollywood. Um, so it, it's not as big as the fifth where we had a big party at a restaurant and invited a gazillion people. We used it as a fundraiser for a National Gay and Lesbian Journalists Association. I was president at the time. That's nice. Yeah. So, but but now you just just sort of until we get to the tenth, uh, I just sort of did a photo recap, and and it's so nice to hear from people. That's why I like to note the um, anniversary because you hear from fan readers, you hear from friends. You sort of just you know kind of gives you a boost going into the next year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. your blog sort of covers the intersection of Hollywood and GLBT stuff. Right. And um, you cover a lot of events. You write about celebrities and things mm-hmm. like that when you were starting out did you um think you would make it eight years like what was your what, what was your like oh, i just got to get this going does it feel like it's gone by fast or was it it's, like a a, a a struggle it's gone by so fast and it's never been a struggle it's an effortless passion pours out of me every day i don't think i don't know that i really missed a day maybe a saturday or occasional but i try to time stuff for the weekend because so it's always been a joy Always. I started it really when I was a staffer at the Daily News, and it was called Out in Hollywood. Right, and that's and that where was, it sort of began. Uh, yeah, and that was in 2006. Well, I was a changed man from then on because I had spent, I don't know how many years in newspapers, maybe 15 years, maybe more, 
writing in a certain structure, you know, hard news, quote, transition. Right. Enjoyed it. It's great. But when I started writing out in Hollywood, which is exactly like Greg in Hollywood, just called something else. Right. Uh, the freedom to be conversational, to insert your own thoughts and humor, um, just was so liberating. And so... You, th- you felt like you'd been set free. Like I, I could felt, finally be myself. Yes. The editor of the Daily News at the time is this great guy named Ron Kay. He would walk by my desk and say, I've freed you! Because he's the one who encouraged me to set aside this certain writing style that was sort of a, you know, a constraint, you know, and just when I was writing and I, it, the blog led to a column in the paper because they saw that I could do that kind of writing. So I ended up doing the page two column for the daily news my last couple of years there. Uh, so it led to a whole change from just being this total hard news guy, just the facts, man, just the facts quote, you know, um, to being more me, right. Becoming me to having a brand and having a voice and, and not afraid to state an opinion, although I try to be diplomatic and never, you know, um, cruel. Right. Um, I started out sort of calling myself the anti-Perez Hilton. Well, you, you're not bitchy and snarky. Right. Yeah. Um, was that like a choice? Like, I, I want to I create a different kind of brand, a different space, or is it just your natural personality or sort of a conscious mix of both? <laughs> I think by the time I became a blogger, which now is 11 years. I think I'd had so much therapy by that time. I just wasn't a bitch anymore the same way that I probably <laughs> That might was. be the title of this podcast. Yeah. I just wasn't a bitch anymore. Yes. You it, just weren't that... You didn't have that I had too, too much joy in life and what I was doing. I, I just had found this... I'd done all these other things, you know, crime and courts and government and all these things. When I finally was doing Hollywood... And LGBT, it was just such a gift. I'm getting paid for this, and I just wasn't, you know, hating. You're not that dude. I'm not that dude, and so it is just me. It is just me. Did you worry that it wasn't going to be salacious enough to attract eyeballs? That you had to be a little outrageous, or you know what I mean? Did you did you wonder if there was a space for that kind of a gay blog? Uh, no, I never wondered because it, since it was part of my job, it was just something extra I was doing on the side. Right, and you'd already sort of tried it under the uh, under the LA Daily News banner. Well, that's what I mean. When I right. started it that way, I knew that it connected with people because right. I would hear from people right away. I love your attitude. I love, and, and so I knew that that's what they liked. Maybe because it was different from what you were seeing right. out there, and also um, one time I thought maybe I should be a little snarky. You know, and so I wrote about Diana Ross. She had been seen out in Beverly Hills without doing her roots, right? You know? And so she had some gray roots, <laughs> and she looked really, she looked very un-Diana Ross, of course. And so I put it on the blog, and I sort of wrote something about um, her roots and how you know. And I heard from a handful of people, Greg, that's not you. This is not why we come here. This is not why we come here. We come here for a break. Yeah, I was shut down. You were shut down on Diana Ross's roots. At another time, I wrote something that I thought was funny about Joyce DeWitt. She was arrested for DUI. And I right. wrote I wrote that she had too many drinks at the Regal Beagle. Right? Yes. I think that's okay. a safe joke. Yeah. And I heard I heard about it. Right. People were just like, Greg, that's not nice. Wow. Yeah. So I, I know I have enough readers that I know that I think they felt it was false. Right. I think that's what they... Because when I write, 
I shouldn't say it, but I, I don't think about it that much anymore. I, I really it just does pour out of me. Oh, I and, hate anybody that anything pours right out of. Well, anyways, <laughs> because it's not a certain structure. It's right. just you can being be conversational. Very, right. When I do stories for Gay Star News, which is my other job, right, uh, I have to take more of that traditional approach. Right. They have a more of a format. Yeah, more of a format. So when you went from the Daily News blog to mm-hmm. your own blog, what led to that? Was a it, week I in read between. A, <laughs> I read that there was like a downsizing in one yes. of your bios. Like, yes, there was a... What uh, was that? Well, the day after the Academy Awards, I covered the Oscars 2009 for the Daily News. Uh, you know, Dustin Lance Black won that year. It was such a high. And the next day... I got laid off. <laughs> they they laid off everyone. They laid off the film critics. This is two thousand and nine. Two thousand and you worked at a newspaper. Yeah, it was I bad. Mean, it was bad. I mean, they 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 just the timing of it being after the Oscars was because I was still writing. Right, I was still writing my stuff, and and the weird part was, I think if you've been in, and I think a journalist would understand. I knew I was laid off, but I really had to finish writing the stories. And so I, I stayed up all night just finishing. I said, because well, I'm laid off, I can't do it tomorrow. And so I finished all my stories, which was probably a good way to, to get through it anyway, the shock of it. But I was so hooked on blogging that I thought, okay, I, I just have to keep doing this. Right. I, so I had, all, I had friends who were fabulous. They were experts in social media and web design, and they just circled the wagons. Right. I read in one of your bios where you sort of thanked them for helping you get up and running. Right. Because it was like four days of full time, really, all these people using their expertise to get Greg and Hollywood up. Uh, within I think six or seven days. So of, I of, of getting fired, of getting laid laid wow. off. I say laid off. I, I say laid off. <laughs> uh, yes, of losing my job. Right. I I went straight from the newsroom to my friend's house in Newport, who helped me do all this. I mean, straight from it. We're talking boxes from my desk in the back of the car. Wow. And so we went straight there. And we just had all these all night sessions, and I was writing copy during those days when they were doing technical stuff. So I would have stuff ready. And then we got a play, a sort of Greg and Hollywood coming soon thing up on the internet. We got the URL. We the the, the name was thought of at the kitchen table with no thought. I just was like, I don't know, can't call it that. Uh, we you know because it's too confusing with the old one. And right. All this URL stuff, and we were going to try and roll it over and use all the archives that the Daily News wouldn't give them to us. Wow. And so uh, I had to start fresh and. Um, Somehow the name Greg, just putting Greg instead of out, yeah, seemed an easy it's a, way. It's a good transition, and it also make it my my brand. And I was thinking of that just Jared side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name you was get your in name it. in there. For yeah. Sure. So so that's how it happened. And from just I started, and that was it. I was just you know. What are the things that you have to know when you're going to start a blog? How do you learn about advertisers, and how do you learn about how much is the the amount to blog, and like just the the nuts and bolts of blogging. Yeah, I found that you have to feed the beast if you want your traffic to to stay. You really have to. So, and I, how hungry is the beast? Pretty hungry. I mean, I try and put at least five up a day. Okay, minimal. And then if it's if I have time and there's things to write about, then I'll I can go up to eight. You yeah. know, and sometimes more. It just depends. And then some days I'm really busy and I can't do as much. I mean, the, a really horrendous day for me would be if I just had about three items up. Yeah. Uh, but I try to have more. And, and, and since I do have another job, um, which I sort of do both at the same time. Right. Uh, I do, uh, 
you know, you have to find a little shortcuts. Sometimes you just put a little video and some of your thoughts on it. You can't always have an interview and right. and all this extensive stuff up. Um, so I, I think I find five to eight items a day. Are you able to sort of write them all in the morning and then have them automatically post to the Changes time? all the time. Yeah, sometimes if I'm really organized and if I'm home... I'm like, well, let me just write some stuff for tomorrow, and I'll get like three or four ready for tomorrow and time them, and that way I have an easier day. Right. You know, and because I love doing it, it's really not. People think, how do you find the time? Or like, this is like breathing. Well, this, for me, the podcast is like that. Yeah. I really love it, and yeah. yet I look at what you do, and I'm like, that doesn't speak to me as much as this format. Right. And yet I could do this, you know, and I have done this for yeah. a long time for, for fun and, and all of that. You said you have another job. What's your other job? I'm the U.S. correspondent for Gay Star News. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's a, and that's my main, that's what supports me mainly. I do have advertising revenue from Greg in Hollywood, but to, in terms of having a salary and being able to live right <laughs> and do things i love uh i started with them more than five years ago are they an international brand yes they are based in london and they they were startup that started five years ago and i was working for a politician as a communications director a state assemblyman and and um wasn't my favorite thing to do at the time and they i always kept the blog going and they found me and said we love your blog can you do that for us and i said Sure. And so, so great. I got to leave my political job and work for them. And I've been there since day one. And um, it's 24 hour, 24-7 LGBT news. So I'm the U.S. guy, and I work an eight-hour shift. And I hand over to a woman in Australia. And she handles, like, the Asian, that time zone right. for eight hours. And then she hands over to London. Now, London has more of a team. They have a newsroom. They have several writers and that kind of thing. And then there's some of us far-flung people around the world uh, who do weekend shifts, and I do the weekday shift. So what do you do for those eight hours? You're writing, obviously, but aren't yeah. you also reporting and yeah. finding the stories? Yeah, it depends. I mean, like, uh, if I've gone to an event the night before, then I'll write that up. Uh, if I have an interview, you know. So you, you're transcribing, you're writing, but you're always watching for breaking news. That's the fun, the most fun. Because where do you? Where are your sources? <laughs> How do you look for breaking news? Well, you look at all the LGBT sites. Right. But, you, but if you're smart, you've tailored your Twitter with all the people who you need to know about what, you know, right. certain groups, whether... If Robbie Rogers breathes, yeah. you get a tweet. Gay celebrities, all the LGBT groups, whether it's Lambda Legal, whether right. it's the ACLU, all of that, all the main, CNN, MSNBC, GLAD, you right. know, all the human rights campaign, you got to constantly be checking the Twitter feed. And that's right. where you get a lot of your... Because you want to be fast. Right. And you want to get it out there because that's how you get the traffic. If I get it up an hour later or two hours after everyone else, then no one cares. But then if I do get it late, you want to try and move it forward. Right. Find try, another angle to yeah, it. Yeah. Have a cool headline, something that maybe the others don't have. And so that's, those are the skills that you really get to develop. And I write about five a day for them. Five a day. Yeah. So between your blog and that, that keeps yeah, you really busy. Exactly. And, but they're di- different lengths. Some are short. Some might be longer. And it's entertainment. It's hard news. You really have to stay up on LGBT issues. On right. gay marriage. On all this transgender The stuff news, that's happening now with the rolling back of the All thing. of that. And so that that's why my Greg in Hollywood seems like a hobby. Because that's all fun. I keep it at pop culture. Right. Uh, mostly. Uh Gay Star News is the news of the day, and it's there's a lot of things happening right now, especially... Well, my first years, we had marriage equality, we had Don't Ask, Don't Tell, we had so many thrilling things that were happening, and it was a 
privilege to be able to write about them and to stay on top of it. Okay, how right. many states have gay marriage now? I had a tally. You know, you're keeping all of it. And then now that you have Trump in, you, you always had that pushback from conservatives. Right. But now that Trump's in, it's, it's a whole new ballgame. Yeah. Crazy so, shit's happening. Crazy shit's happening. And, and so what are you going to do about it? And, and it's so great when you're just, when you're writing about it, you don't, you don't just scream at your TV. You know, you're really just saying, well, who's doing something about it? And what do they have to say about it? Right. You know, so it's a very rewarding little balance. And um, it doesn't really exhaust me because I have tons of adrenaline. <laughs> I'm, that's so cool. I'm yeah. into it. Yeah. Uh, how much do you follow, like, okay, this one got a lot of hits. Or how much do you follow data, statistics, whatever the ratings yeah. uh, thing would be? You for- follow it because you, 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 you really... Find out at a certain point that no one gave a shit about Caitlyn Jenner anymore. That's at, so interesting. Yeah, at first everyone. When yeah, were they done with Caitlyn? When her Republican politics just, you know, were so not going to bend. Right. And and then people couldn't stand her. They didn't. At first she was huge. Right. And then it was we don't want to know a thing about her. We're done. Please don't write about her. Seriously. We what about when she did the Trump? Video. Then you wrote about her. Yeah. So then you had to be more selective about right. what you wrote about Caitlyn. So I wrote about it when she finally said something about Trump. I wrote about her today because she launched a foundation right. that's going to help uh, transgender people. And she's selling a Porsche to start it. Apparently going to get a quarter of a million dollars for it. So that's newsworthy. So you got to be a little more selective. Caitlyn's right. not going to be the numbers we thought. And there's other people as well. You know, I don't want to name the, the, the duds, but you can kind of tell... Oh, but maybe I better not write about him. And then there's some people, uh, for a while, Tom Daly, anything cute that he did was huge numbers. Right. And, and, uh, so, but now I'm being a Is little more... Is he the diver that's with, with Dustin Lance Black? Black. Yeah. I get him confused with the soccer player that's with Rob, Rob, Robbie Rogers. Okay. And, and, um, yeah, Tom Daly's pretty big because he's international. Right. And then the, the fact of him and Dustin Lance Black being a couple, uh, that also, uh, you can, something really cute can work right. with them, but then they also had a little bit of trouble... Um, Thank and that, God, and that got big numbers. So those kind, of, you know, tr- trouble that gets big numbers. Trouble in paradise. Trouble in paradise. Scandal does. What do you, you know? think about it? Sometimes, if I'm if I'm on Instagram or whatever, and I'm looking at people like I was looking at Sean Hayes yesterday. I think I went into a Dustin Lance black hole, mm-hmm. and it's like their lives are so fucking perfect, mm-hmm. and it makes you feel kind of like shit sometimes. <laughs> and you gotta like, you gotta like. You know, look away. I don't need that. But do you ever yeah. get those? Do you ever get those feelings about looking at people's lives that seem really? No, I really I don't get that way because I know it's Hollywood. I know it's smoke and mirrors. Right. And you know, so I know that they're just showing us their best selves. Right. And it can't. It's not really that good. Yeah. Uh, so they're Ricky Martin. Yeah. You know, yeah. and some people maybe it is. You know, but I also know, and from my own uh, Facebook, I'm a prolific poster of events that I go to and things I do that, you know, maybe my life isn't as good day in as day out as it might look on Facebook because right. I'm not going to write about, you know, the day I laid on the sofa and watched eight hours of Feud. Right. You know, the FX series. That's not very exciting. Well, you know? I kind of think it is. <laughs> well, but you know, that's the day you're like eating Cheetos and you're right. just, you know, you're just not like, that's not going to be on Facebook. Right. You know, um, so I think that I, I know how it goes. So I say, of course, they're going to show us their best selves. I don't want to know. Unless it's something interesting, but right. I don't. I don't want to know their neuroses and, and and that kind of thing, or other people's. I don't right. want to read other people's things on Facebook. I don't mind that it's a little tidy. Right. All right. 
But I'd also like when somebody... It just depends on kind of what day, kind of day I'm having. I and I mean, there's a whole... It's, all, it's what I'm bringing to the table. Exactly. And you, but, you know, you've, you've had glamour in your life. You, you've been around lots of people, so you kind of know how it's it's all smoke and right. fires. You know, and, and, and... But I also like when they use it to say something important. Right. I, I love that. And I've, I've been seeing that recently with some people who haven't really been political, and then finally they're like... I can't take it anymore. I like gotta who? say something about Trump. Are there people that come to mind? Well, the one person that comes to mind immediately isn't, isn't gay, but is gay friendly is Robbie Benson. From um, is one of my questions. Ice, Ice Castle. Yeah, one of my main now crushes. director. Yes. yes, and we we're friends on Facebook, and we you know exchanged a few messages, and he's he's very nice, and he finally he finally just let loose on Trump. He had had it. He had had it. It was very articulate. It was eloquent, and I thought. This is where we're getting. People are starting to... And I like when they use their social media voice to say something meaningful. Not just scream, but just say, this is how I got to this point. And right. there's, you know, I think people hear that more. One of the things I really admire about you is you really support LGBT artists. Yeah. Like, I see you all the time when I go see, like, Tom Goss perform. Or, yeah. like, all of my friends that are trying to make shit happen and doing yeah. their thing. And it's not easy to be an independent artist. Yeah. And you always mm-hmm. champion them and support them. And it's not... That's not true all the way across sort of gay media. Um, I love the I love that world. You know, I love the I love to support people's uh, dreams and ambitions, especially if I think they're talented. Right. That's the best part because sometimes I have people who say, "Can you come to this or can you go to that?" and it's not something that I think is very good. Right. And then you're kind of like, "Oh, geez, what do I write?" But when they're really talented and they're trying to make an album happen, or they're trying to make a career happen, or they're trying to make a movie happen. You're like, whatever I can do, I'm so thrilled to write this, you know, yeah. to, to help you out because you're so good. And I love a movie that's going through the festival circuit and trying to get distri- distribution, something that I've seen at Outfest or somebody sent me a screener. I'm like, oh, I want to tell everyone about this. And if I can get the word out, happy to do it. But it has to be authentic. It has to be how I really feel. Otherwise, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, so, it, you know, if, if I am touting it, I really do mean it. What did Moonlight mean to you, winning the Oscar? Because it's probably been on your radar yeah. since before it even opened. Well, Moonlight, I remember when Brokeback Mountain lost the Oscar. Because oh. Brokeback Mountain did a lot for me because of Heath Ledger's performance. And you have a poster in your, in your, here do, in your place. I do have a poster. That's one of my... I have one of the few... I think I have an, a few of them, but that's one of them that I've... I think because I spent so much money to have it framed. But I had yeah. it... I got it, you know, after the, when that movie came out. Like right around then. And... Uh, so it meant so much to me because of Heath Ledger's performance and the devastation and the longing in the closet. And I could relate to some of the closet stuff. And, and he, he was so searing. And so when it didn't win, I remember I was covering the Oscars that year. And I was backstage. And I remember, you know, Ang Lee won. And we thought, well, maybe they're, it's probably going to win Best Picture. Then, of course, Crash won. Right. Because people were scared. It was homophobia. Clearly, Brokeback Mountain was the movie of that right. year. And I also think Heath Ledger's performance was, was the best, even though... Russell, uh, sorry, the, he died. He played Capote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, very deserving. He was fine, but the movie, the performance that I remember that devastated me was Heath Ledger's. Right. And so to have Moonlight be nominated oops, and have maybe an outside chance of winning, I did a whole piece for Gay Star News before the Oscars saying, if this wins, this is history. It's the first LGBT film to win the best picture. So... Will Hollywood do it? Because La La Land has all the momentum. Right. And so when it won, we were so caught up with the mistake. Yeah. And so that, unfortunately, 
you didn't feel it for a few days, what it meant. But then it hit me on Friday night. I'm so glad you asked. I went to Outfest Fusion. Yeah, they showed it again. Yeah, the LGBT uh, People of Color Film Festival. They showed Moonlight. It was my second time that I'd seen it. Both times we were in a theater. Right. This time, I got so much more out of it. It went right to that gay boy inside of me, the gay little boy that we're all a little sad about if, if because you couldn't be yourself. I'm telling you, speaking of that boy... When one of the Obamas would mention GLBT anything or who yeah. you love, that I would cry like two seconds later. Yeah. Driving my car. <laughs> it's something like a it's like a direct line to whatever that place is. Yeah. And that sounds like the same kind of feeling. Yeah. It gets and it catches you by surprise yes. each time. And that's what happened Friday. In the Egyptian, here I am thinking, you know, I'm together. I got right. it. And it got to that deep place where I was almost Whoa, just kind of welling up right. uh, two or three times in that film because you saw yourself. Uh, I saw a little Hispanic boy, a little skinny Hispanic boy who, you know, knew he was different but just couldn't say anything about it. I wasn't right. bullied the way that the kid is there, and I had a strong family unit. Uh, so that was those, there were differences. But the one point I got was uh, the, the little boy and, mm-hmm. and how you're just, you just have to shut down to survive. And, and and they had a discussion afterwards. Yeah, what was it like there? I wanted to go and my car broke down. Yeah, they didn't have anybody from the film, which I, I thought there might. I think they're all at spas somewhere yeah, after they're that all just season. Celebrating, man, I know. <laughs> they had they're in Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> and they deserve it. Right. I did get to speak with both Barry Jenkins and Terrell, the um the the other writer. The, right. Who's I love how included he was in the whole Oscar thing. Yeah. Because during the rollout, you didn't see him that much, and I didn't. You didn't quite know what the relationship was as writers. Yeah, yeah because you didn't know if he'd get the nomination because it's a story by Barry yeah. did write it, but it was his story, right? Uh, Terrell's story. So I did get to talk to both of them at events leading up to it. So I, that was fantastic, and they were both really Barry's really cute. They're both cute. Did yeah, you, Terrell is. I've not met Terrell. Seen, yeah, he's a real drink of water. Yeah, that's so brilliant. So brilliant. I met him at a SAG panel, uh, Screen Actors Guild panel. Right. And he blew me away. He's head of like playwriting at Yale now, Yale Drama School or something like that, just starting this fall. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, but so they, they weren't there, but I thought, well, I've already spoken to them, so that's fine. So they had four people from the community, three gay men of different ages and one uh, lesbian, and they all talked about their experiences. And that also almost sent me. So yeah. I'm like, this movie got me in a place that, you know, so I recommend repeated viewings because I think that you can, and especially in the theater if you can in the next few weeks, because I think you get a lot out of it in repeated viewings. What's interesting to me about the marketing of that movie is they didn't, they avoided being ghettoized as a gay movie and a black movie. Like, it didn't play gay festivals. Right. It had its own sort of path, and... In a way, you're sort of like, wait, what's wrong with us? And then the other way, you're like, no, it's brilliant. You right. had to define yourself a different way. Yeah. And it worked, clearly. Right, because it didn't scare people or turn them off. They sort of just... Right. So, yeah, the market... Like, Travante wasn't on the cover of Out until the movie had already right. been out a while. Right. And, like, oh, did you go to our toast? Gay yes, toast? I did. I okay, met so you Travante. Met him. Okay. I saw him. Well, that I didn't was, meet him. That he sure was, was charming. Yeah, I got This to... was the Galaga gay critics... Um, Toast the awards, and, and there were awards. a lot of um, people there from yeah. the from the nominated and the winning. We had uh, the real O'Neill yeah. cast and showrunners, and we had uh, who was the drag queen 
person I'm Oh, Michelle Vachage, who's very funny. Very funny. Representing Drag Race. I actually recorded a little bit of it on my phone, and maybe I'll play some clips at the end of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Amy Landecker, my favorite of the Pfeffer. You know, she's one of my girl crushes. She's so great. She knows it too. I, I, <laughs> she's on Transparent. And right when that show premiered, I was at a screening at the Writers Guild uh, Theater, just some casual Saturday afternoon thing. And she was there with some friend, and I was like, <gasps> she kind of was turned around in front of me in the popcorn line. I was like, you're my favorite actress on TV right now. And she goes, right now? <laughs> like, not always, but maybe, you know, she's bumping up to always. What's so special? She gave me a scoop at the, um, at at the awards the, dinner. Oh, yeah. she did? At the Dorian? A little bit of a scoop, yeah. I don't know if I should say it, but oh. the Pfeffernans are taking a trip this season. I don't know if it's been publicized. I don't know. They're going to a... A, a, a country, mm-hmm. maybe it's related to their history. Ah, right. Oh, yes, but it hasn't be... happened yet. But that's on the docket. Oh, that'll be great. Right. Just that's gets interesting. Better, and better each. I love that show. Yeah, me too. Now, me too. feud debuted last night. You said yes. you already watched eight hours. Yeah, I was going to watch just a few, and then I had I just canceled everything and just I couldn't stop watching it. I didn't love the pilot last night. Okay. What did, what's your take on it? It gets better. I mean, it's because they're setting like... it all up. They're setting it up, and it, you know, I think that the Baby Jane reenactments are so delicious. Yeah, they do a really good job of that, and and it wraps up with the Oscar night, and that is everything. Okay, that whole Oscar war, which is totally true, is so well done. The way that it's presented, it's 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 Betty Davis nominated for the film, uh, Joan Crawford not nominated, but really bitter about it and determined to have Betty lose and to upstage her. So she offers to accept the award for any actress in the category who wasn't going to be at the ceremony. And it was brilliantly pulled off. Uh, Wow. All right. Yeah, but I think the thing that I really came away from is, first of all, what a better actress (laughs) Jessica Lange is than Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Because you know that Mommy Dearest ended up being very campy right and, and i'm not blaming dunaway i don't know what kind of direction there was maybe it wasn't in the script to be more layered but jessica lang brings humanity and layers and so much to that film that she's not a villain you know crawford isn't a villain right uh she's a very troubled woman complicated and a complete alcoholic but you feel sorry for her a little bit and 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 davis is so different so confident. Uh, maybe she has her insecurities brought upon by age. Right. But she was. she's a different person. She's not as fucked up. Right. And so that's why it's a more interesting role for, um, for Lang. Right. So I, I highly recommend it. Stick with it. I will. I just felt like yeah. everyone was talking like we think people talked in Hollywood then. Like, mm-hmm. you got to get a hit, girl. Like, I just felt like it was a little <laughs> bit expository in the dialogue and... I don't know. I think it's he better. Did. I, th- I definitely think it's better. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's really delicious. And I'm very interested in that whole feud anyway. Right. And that they made, they were going to make Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Right. But that's not covered at all. Because they did film part of it. And it had to be scrapped. Oh, wow. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, because Crawford uh, got pneumonia. Wow. And uh, she had to be replaced by Olivia de Havilland. So there you go. Yeah. So anyway. But that's a whole other story. I was very glad that you put <laughs> uh, one of the actors as your morning man from... Um, feud because I Mark Valley because oh. when he appeared I was like who is he oh. where do I know him from Gary he played Gary Merrill the fourth and final husband of Betty Davis right and I was like why yeah. do I know that guy yeah and he was in Tales of the City right wasn't he he's in everything yeah 
He's he, very handsome. All his series last about a year or two, except for Boston Legal. Right. But he always gets a new series. Right. It's never, not, I don't think it's really his fault. He's very uh, very good actor. Yeah. And uh, very handsome. Very handsome. <laughs> um, yes. You have your Morning Man of the Day. Yes. On the on Greg and Hollywood. I can never stop that because that's what people like. Yeah, I it's, think it's a fun little thing. And you yeah. give a little backstory and there's... So where do you find them, or what are your resources for finding the man of the day? It's always different, you know? I mean, sometimes I, like, sometimes I get far ahead on them when right. I'm really organized. And sometimes I'm doing it the night before. Oh, crap. Uh, who am I going to do? Maybe I've just seen somebody in a movie. Right. Oh, I've got to do him tomorrow. Right. Uh, and sometimes I get on sports kind of... You know, if it's World Series, it's like a week right. of baseball players. It just depends. Have on, you ever posted somebody that you thought was really fetching, and people were like... I don't get it. Um, yes, sometimes, but most of the time they kind of like them. I have uh, sometimes people want more diversity, right? Um, so I try to be mindful of that. I have to. I just, but I don't think too much about it. I just right. kind of go with whoever. Maybe I just came across them. It's really right. quite random. But one thing, one thing I really wanted to do with that from day one, and it started about two or three weeks into the blog. I didn't have them before, but I saw that like. My friend Kenneth Walsh on Kenneth and Two One Two, he'd have like a morning wood and right. and, and these kind of things. But I, I, I thought I, I had to have it be a little more substantial, so that I wanted to say who they were and what, what they, they did. What they did. I wanted them to have accomplished something. So I have very few models who are only known for just being gorgeous models. Um, I, although I do once in a while, I do have them if they're. You just, just had one recently, the math was, teacher. Yeah, you know he does something. Uh, yeah, mathy. He, he was a math teacher, and he was discovered, and then he became a model because right. he was so beautiful. If they're just amazing, then once in a while I'll do a model. I'll even say I'm doing a model today, everyone. But I do want them to have accomplished something or have some kind, you know, have done something to to earn that to warrant it to warrant being a morning. Man. So do you yeah. just pull a picture from somewhere, or do you have to attribute it, or how does uh, that work? I try to usually you can get away with. Uh, publicity stills that are right. everywhere, social media pictures. The ones you really can't use are the paparazzi shots because those belong to someone and photographers usually, they, they don't like that or they'll say, it's my shot, can you right. take it down? So I don't want to be, uh, you know, um, dinged for that. So I try to use pictures that are pretty safe off the IMDB or off their their own social media. Social media has really helped because usually I feel it's fair game if it's on their Twitter on their Instagram or on their Facebook. Right. I saw, I was going through your blog and there were lots of Instagram pictures of different stars and how do you know to follow them? Do you just have them all in your Instagram feed or? Yeah, it sort of happened. I'm always adding to it. Right. But I love the ones who, like Colton Haynes, you're going to get something from him every day. Some of them over post, but they get so much traffic you don't blame them. Some of them say, I've got to post something every day. Um, And I I love that they share their lives. I really do. And it is, of course, the sanitized very good version. Um, But I still like it. You know, I like a little bit of the fantasy. They go to places that I'm not going to. And they're around people (laughs) look, you know, all these stunning people or doing these cool things. So it's kind of fun. The Instagram thing's been fun. It's really a new addition. Well, it's sort of like it really just gives you so much interesting stuff or good stuff. or That's not a lot of effort for me, except yeah. I just have to curate it. I just have to look through and have be following the right people and looking through and seeing if there's something interesting that they're doing. Have you ever had the experience where somebody's social media has made you like them less? Because I've had that in my own life, yeah. just with people I know. Oh, yeah, both, both in life and in celebrities. Yeah. Definitely. I'm, I don't want any names on celebrities. But what are those things that make you... Just like them less. I think uh, when they when they 
espouse things you don't agree with or I, I well yeah definitely if their politics are a turn off right. or if they're not you know but also if they're so self-promotional that it's a turn off i don't mind self-promotion with a wink right you know but i don't like the barrage of it where it's this is just an ad you know and this is this watch this and watch i don't i actually i don't mind promotion right it's just how it's done I like if they have a little personal touch. This meant a lot to me, this filming this episode or this right. show. But if it's just like a commercial and that's why they're using it, I- I'm turned off by that. So I don't normally um, share that one. Right. You, know. you mentioned before that there were celebrities like, that you felt like your audience was turning off to. Mm-hmm. Who are they obsessed with? Who can't they get enough of? Well, uh, I think Colton Haynes might be cooling off a little. But then again, he just got a boyfriend. That's exciting. So, and he, there was a picture of him in some pants, and uh-huh. the way they looked on his butt, where I was like, I could just look at this for the next six hours. There was one that he was shirtless at the end of the year, where he said, "The picture, the the way people most want to see me, or something." And it was such a stunning photo. I also posted it on Gay Star News, and it just got so much traffic. Um, so with him, it's hit and miss, depending on what he's posting. But he's been so open and so raw with his journey of coming out since last April, that you just, you sort of root for him. You know, when someone's that good looking, people want to say, uh, oh God, you know, more of him. But I'm, I, he was so open about his struggle, about his panic attacks, his anxieties, how much he suffered. He was very open. So now that he has a boyfriend, you're rooting for him to be happy. Right. And, um, and so that's the kind of thing, you know, where I, I, I like to root for him. But uh, there's a lot of interest, say, in Laverne Cox. Right. Uh, I, Her I, show got canceled, like, after one episode. got canceled. But she's got so much going on, she just rolled through it. But she's very good at social media, I'll tell you. She puts lots of interesting videos. She keeps it interesting. She keeps it very... She has a very interesting life. Right now, she's on a real high where there's lots of opportunities and she's doing a lot of interesting things. She's meeting Beyonce at the Grammys. Right. And she's really sharing it. I saw her at a Glad... It was a Outfest event last summer for the trans list. And she was right on that phone as soon as the thing ended, taking selfies with panelists, really being mindful, courting her her audience, uh, providing information. So I, I really watched her do it in real time, and it was fascinating. Well, she's whenever she's on television as the voice of the trans community, yeah. she doesn't put a foot wrong. She's no. incredible at being... I know it's probably not that fun to always be that person, yeah. but boy, is she good at it. Yeah, because she changed the conversation. She's the one who stood up to Katie Couric right back about the asking about your private parts and the way she answered so eloquently saying we're moving the conversation beyond that it's between what's between your ears and so she kind of changed the whole conversation right then that was kind of a moment yeah i don't remember that yeah it was on the katie couric show and katie asked her and carmen carrera what parts do you have right and and laverne said very nicely but said you know you you don't you can't ask that that's not that's not cool to ask anymore that's you know, that's we're moving the conversation beyond. It's Way who we are as people. And Katie, it was such a teachable moment for her. She had them back later for another show and talked about it. She just did a documentary for National Geographic on trans kids. So Katie Kirk has become a real voice because she said, I don't mind being humiliated because I didn't know. And so Laverne was a real part of that, right. I think, changing. And look at in the last couple of years how the conversation has changed about transgender people. Caitlyn Jenner was highly 
um, visible, but was not educated, not ready to be that public in a way that Laverne was. Right. You see, so Laverne can teach. She you. Could t- she kind of picked up the the. Uh Laverne is like, I'll take, I'll field this one. Yes. Where <laughs> Caitlin wasn't ready. Yeah. Caitlin didn't know enough then about the LGBT community. Uh, uh, you know, she had lived it. Yes, it was a compelling story. But to then go on and to try and, you know, talk about it in sort of a social sense. Right. And so public. Yeah. It really show was and a It was a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It was a lot. Yes. Um, what, what else do I want to ask you about? Have you ever had a big scoop? Something that really, like, you got the, you got the news and... You know what I mean? Like something my biggest, that's a scoop. Just, just celebrity. We won't even go to my other career. Right. Hard news. We're just going to go celebrity. Right. Yes, I'm the one who, who told the world that Victor Garber was gay. Apparently the world did not know this. And it happened quite by accident. I was at the, the uh, TCM, which is the uh, Television Critics Association press tour. Right. All the shows come and show all the networks invite all their shows to the, to all the critics to say, well, this is what we're going to be offering. This right. Show. So Garber was there with one of his shows for NBC. Forgot which one. Yeah. So whatever, after they do the panel, all the journalists rush to the stage, they call it a scrum and we're all firing questions at whoever, whatever cast member, it's all very informal. And so I knew I was going to ask him something. And so I'm looking at him, I'm looking him up on Wikipedia and it says at the bottom, he's been with his partner of 12 years whatever his name is. Uh, and I thought, did he come out? And I didn't know. And so after it was over, I went up to the stage and I talked to him about the other stuff I wanted to talk to him about. And then I said, Hey, um, Wikipedia has you with your partner of 12 years. So is this public knowledge? And he kind of looked at me and he's like, well, I don't really talk about it, but you know, he, yeah. And and we're going to go to the SAG awards and you know, that kind of thing. And you know, and that was kind of it. I said, okay, well, thanks. And so I kind of went down as processing, and I'm looking... You're like, what do I do? I'm thinking, that had somebody written about this? And so I thought, well, I'll just write it up. And so I, I wrote it up. Um, you know, that, and I, I didn't want to say he's come out. I just wrote, he'll be taking his partner to the SAG Awards. I think I used that kind of headline. It went nuts. It got picked up by every news outlet from USA Today to People.com uh, and... It was huge. Biggest numbers I've ever had on Greg and Hollywood. And it was also helped by the fact that Jodie Foster had come out the day before. So there was a real appetite, like, who's out now? Yeah. Uh, I didn't... I had some criticism. People said I cornered him, which totally wasn't true. And I never heard from him. Uh, but media who called his people, they just got a statement, which was, yes, it's true. And he has no further comment. So I sensed... That he was relieved. You, you know, it just was one of those things that you just... Right. They just... Nobody thought to ask them. Um, and he's, But it's always in the back of their mind. Like, is somebody asked so. me, you know, where are we at on that journey? Right. And then he has since been... They got married and, and all of that. But after that, I thought, well, I'm going to start asking a little bit more. And so I have asked a few people, like two or three people in the, who I know to be gay. They have partners and I've asked them in interviews. And they just say, I'm not ready. Please don't. Ask that. So, what do you say? What? How do you phrase the question? I don't write about it. How do you phrase the question? Oh, well, I'll say I saw you on the Glad Awards carpet with your husband, and you were listed as an out actor. So, is this something that you're, you know, you talk about? And this person, who I'm not going to name, I'm dying to, but I'm not. He just said, I don't, I don't know, I don't talk about it. And I thought, here you are, you're flirting with it. I mean, you're you're out. So, but I decided that I'm just not going to out people. Right. Um, 
unless it's something that's if it's a politician or something like that. But if it's a celebrity and they're just not ready, it's not it's not my news to share. I'm not going to do it unless I sort of seem to have an okay from them. And yeah. it, it, it's not something I seek to do anyway. It's and a lot of them are coming out, but they just they want to work and they just feel that it's going to hurt them. You know, of course I know all the people who are gay. I mean, a lot of them, right. as you do. And, and, of course, you know that it'd do huge numbers, but I just it's not something I want to do. Yeah. When you get paid for the ads on your blog, yeah. do the, is it per page view? Is there a way that they measure? It's like, in other words, if you have a lot of popular posts that week or that month, you yeah. get more money? Yes. Okay. And I'm very fortunate to be a part of an ad network that is... Uh, you know, the, the site Toll Road mm-hmm. uh, with Andy Toll, which is, I think, the standard, you know, play, to go for LGBT news because they cover everything. And it's, it, you know, they, and, 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 well, they contacted me about three months into Greg and Hollywood and said, hey, do you want to join our ad network and be sort of a Hollywood version of, you know, so we've been business partners. Um, That's great. Yeah, there's a network of star of, of uh, Kenneth and the 212, right. a few others. Um, so yeah, that's been great. And so that's helped me uh, make some money off off the blog. But I get more money the more traffic I get. With the more traffic per yeah. post and all Which that Which keeps stuff. me yeah. posting. There you go. But good thing I like it. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Orange County. All a right. town called Westminster. Is there something that you look back on as a kid... That makes sense where you are today. I, the, all the words were in that sentence, but they weren't exactly yeah. in the right order. Well, were yeah. you into, super into movies and TV? Yes. And, yeah. I was a movie buff. My mom loved Elizabeth Taylor and Doris Day and Debbie Reynolds and loved um, movie magazines. And she would always watch the movies. Uh, they used to have an afternoon movie on ABC at 3.30. So I'd watch a lot of them with her. And she would also had like a fan magazine around here and there. Not tons of them, but she did have them. And I would read them from cover to cover. And I, you know, that's when I was really young. Right. And by the time I got to junior high, I started buying Rona Barrett's magazines. Remember Rona Barrett? I had oh, one of those. I, ha- I would I buy... still remember a headline about Patrick Swayze drives them crazy. <laughs> and he was in roller skates and leather pants. That had, okay. And this was pre-Dirty Dancing. Yes, yes. He did like some kind of cheesy roller. Oh, Skate Town USA Skate Town USA. Oh, that was it. Fuck, that was it. Was it. a lot. Yes. It was a lot. Well, I was, I was really more into, I was so in denial about myself. I was more into like all the women stars like Lucille Ball and Mary Tyler Moore. And I would read right. all about them. And, 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 um, but I do remember seeing a photo of Warren Beatty and just being like, Oh, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty, uh, I'm interested in that. So, but I, I was a very, I would devour all the movie magazines and, uh, you know, and then, and then it sort of became when I went into journalism, I thought, well, this isn't serious. So I have to cover hard news. And right. so it took me on a whole other journey. But I think it's all part of that whole denial of self that a lot of gay people, rejection of self, I guess, where you sort of, at least when, when I was young, being gay was not an acceptable thing and it right. wasn't something you could really do and have the kind of life you wanted. So I had to reject, that was part of the rejection of myself. Right, and it was connected to the show busy, fabulous stuff. Yeah. So you had to reject that too. I had to reject it. That's so interesting. So I would go, I would be working for the LA Times and I would cover a double homicide that I'd come home and devour Entertainment Weekly and people. Right. It was yeah. a real separation that was going on there and it took me a long time to integrate, you know. Wow, I read that you covered crime for the LA Times. Yeah. What was the most intense story you covered or the most... Would you go to crime scenes? Oh, yeah. 
I stepped on brains once. They had. They didn't. Have the, <laughs> we have a new title for the podcast. <laughs> they didn't have the yellow tape up yet, and we got there so fast. But I was really into it. I have to say, when you're in your twenties, you are open to anything. You don't. It wasn't so much. I guess I was denying my authentic self. But you're also in your twenties, and you're so open to whatever whatever challenges. You don't really know fully what you like and what you don't like. So. I, when I was assigned to crime, I was a young reporter and I was scared, but then I wasn't anymore. And then you become hooked. You know, you know where all the bodies are. And, you know, so I would cover homicides. I would talk to grieving families. I mean, so many, 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 many stories. So much grief. You learn how to be compassionate. You become interested in the whole criminal side and what led to it and how do these paths come together and end in this violence. All kinds of different stories. But I really became fearless in that. That taught me how to write fast, no nonsense, how to just compose yourself in any situation. How to ask hard questions. How to ask hard questions. Because you have to go to grieving families and ask them. And get a photo. You have to get a photo. That's the thing. And and you also... But you, well, you, did you take the picture or did you have a photographer with you? You sometimes would have a photographer with you if it was okay with them. And then you'd get those awful pictures of the parents in pain on the sofa. Tons of those. And, you know, and, and then you needed a photo, like a school photo or something, especially if it was a young person. But you also found that if you talked to them that day, they were still in shock. And that was the best time to talk to them. Because after that, when the devastation really set in, forget it. Can't form a sentence. But I was in many houses where you hear that primal wail from the mother oh, who's lost a child. God. So there was a lot of things. I went to a lot of funerals. But the whole thing that was great about that and the reason that I was successful is because I always wanted to tell a story. So I would want to tell the story about what led to it and try and craft it. You'd always find stuff out if you talked to enough people about how these things happened. There was one gang murder that was just supposed to be ah, a throwaway. We found out a teacher called me that day and said, he had just written this essay about trying to get out of gang life, you know, and this whole, so we made it all about the essay and, and, you know, it was just so much more than that. And then, and then I got let in years later, I got assigned to criminal courts. So a lot of the cases I was covering as a crime reporter were going through the court system. So then I found out a so whole other, the same people saw the whole thing and, and you found out more background. So that was very interesting that, that I covered one case where it was, um, an identical twin, Two beautiful girls, and um, they were the Han twins, and they were co-valedictorians of her senior class. And then they started fighting, and then went their separate ways. And one plotted to have the other one killed. <gasps> That's so good. That's it such was, a lifetime movie, ready to happen. I'm telling you. So I ended up doing an LA Times Sunday Magazine story on that. That's and amazing. I'm still interviewed by docu. I've been done so many television shows on. It, I still get called, and it's, we're talking 15 years. Is that story online somewhere? Yeah. I, I can send you a link. Send, send me a link. link to that and I'll yeah. post it on the, the podcast. Page. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah. I can't believe, you know, yeah, they I haven't co- snatched that up for... Well, I, I was contacted Christina by... Christina Ricci or something. I know. The woman who wrote Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, was trying to buy the rights. Oh, wow. And it just didn't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, it was a story that was one of the most fascinating stories ever. And I covered the whole trial and, and the good, we called them the good twins. One was good, one was bad. The good twin tried to kill herself after testifying. She came to court on sleeping pills. And I remember at the time, 
we only had phone booths, and we didn't even have cell phones. I ran to the phone booth, and I'm calling the Times, and we had a 1-800 number, thank God. You'd have to have a roll of dimes. I'd right. say, we need to talk to her courthouse now. She's overdosed. And they, I remember they got there so fast, and we got her coming out on the gurney. You know, so it was just, she survived, she's fine. But uh, it was Both of them are still alive, right? Both of them are still yeah. alive. One is serving 28 years to life. The bad twin. The bad twin. But, wow. it, but it was really the, the magazine story I did was so interesting because I talked to twin experts and that's a, such a deep bond. Yeah, it maybe in the movies, but you never see them turn on each other. So there's something fascinating about that. Yeah. I think the girl was mentally ill. Uh, the the bad twin. I think she was mentally ill, and I think she didn't get the help she needed. So that's so sad. It was sad. Were there any sort of high profile Hollywood crimes that you were? I didn't do any of those. My my highest profile was O.J. Simpson custody case okay there was three trials there was the criminal trial the civil trial and the custody case right i got the custody case and so the weird part was you couldn't be in court because it was family court so you had to linger outside and so you're outside all day with the national Enquirer and all these tv all those reporters people. and the browns and oj they'd all have to coexist uh in the hallway uh, and it, you'd see, like, the grandmother, Judith Brown, showing O.J.'s sister pictures of the kids. It was all very surreal. And O.J. was free. This was when he, before he got arrested that second time, the other time. Well before. Yeah. This is after he was acquitted yeah. of the criminal case. But also he was going through the civil case almost concurrently. And so I remember the first day, I was so nervous, and I, I went to the bathroom, and I, and I you know... Notice someone next to my train, and he's peeing next to me. Wow! And because of all the notoriety, I just really just just you know felt all kinds of emotion and all kinds of uh, panic and all kinds of things. And then I finally asked him a question, you know, because you have to even if you're urinating, you know, you don't know if you're going to get. You want to get the scoop? Yeah. So I'm like, well, how do you think it's going? And and did he know you were a reporter? Yes, I had to identify myself. Yeah. I would never not yeah. identify myself. And uh, he's like, you know, he couldn't. I can't talk about it. So there was a gag order, and so that was a tough thing to to cover. But we did the best we could, and 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 finally, was it just days and days? Yeah, and then he got the kids, and that was heartbreaking for the Browns because, you know, I think they believed, and as did a civil jury, that uh, he killed their their daughter and killed the mother of his children he gets the children so it was really tough that was a tough one the day of the verdict i got sent to the cemetery to nicole's cemetery where nicole was buried we heard that oj was going to go to the cemetery so we were all staked out all day it's the day of the verdict and we're waiting in the cemetery and he never shows up so i call the desk and i say he doesn't show up i said but I have a story for you. There's some real weirdos who are here at this cemetery, and they come here all the time. So we ended up getting this great story. About, story. Like they were groupies. All the groupies who would go to the cemetery all the time to see what were they Nicole's like? grave. They were just obsessed with the they case. Were they weird, were obsessed with so... Weird fan people. Like, how yeah. many are we talking? Oh, I, I'd have to look it up. I like mean, a half dozen? or like uh, I, I got some... I got, I got, I, probably talked to a good half dozen who were really into it uh you know yes we come here <laughs> a few times a week you know and we see you know all these people and we, we see if the browns are going to come i mean it was just 
crazy. So uh, I thought I got the bum assignment when I got when he didn't show up, but then it turned into be a very interesting. That is crazy. Human interesting. But any, I know I'm going off on a tangent. I but. love this tangent. That's <laughs> what show, this is what it's all about. Now I have yeah. not watched When We Rise yet. Yeah. Did I, you write about that? Yeah, I went to the opening screening of When We Rise at LACMA. And uh, uh, Dustin Lance Black, the writer, and uh, he directed the, at least a few episodes of it, was there with Gus Van Sant, who directed the opening right. uh, thing. And so the first two hours were just terrific, and I have to catch up with the rest. I feel like it's going to live on my TiVo for the next 20 <laughs> years. I feel like it's that thing that I should... Yeah. That I'm never going to be in the right mood for, you know? Well, because it's painful. I think it's very painful, especially the age years. Yeah. You know, and, and that's parts two and three. And I'm actually a little reluctant just because uh, of of reliving those. Um, right. Like, did you ever see How to Survive a Plague? I did. Now, I saw that three times. And wow. was devastated because I had different people with me. I said, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. And each time I got more out of that one as well. But I thought that's important to learn your history. So I think it's great what he did. And I, I will see the rest. Um, I think as Lance was saying, he did a, an interview with The Advocate on Friday. And he said, you know, it's on a lot of people's DVRs. It's going to be available for sh- streaming. It exists. It exists. It will be seen. It's not going to have the, you know, ratings of Roots because... There's too many channels now. Nobody has those ratings. Right. Um, but uh, I hear the last part is the best part, the last two hours. I, I think it's amazing that ABC made it. I know. I Speaking do. of ABC, I read yeah. that you covered Disney a lot. I did. Like, yes. did you, was that your beat when you were at a certain I had job? Disney for three different jobs. Wow. Uh, I covered Disney for the uh, LA Times for a time I was the Anaheim Bureau Chief, which means you're stationed in Anaheim. So you have to cover all the Disney stuff. You also get a free yearly pass. That's nice. For work. So anything happening with Disneyland, and I happened to cover it when they were, uh, when they announced the expansion of California Adventure. Oh, right. I had to do, but it was so not glamorous. I had to do environmental impact reports and hearings and all that stuff. It's so unglamorous. But when you're so into it, you think it's so interesting. Are you super into Disney? Well, I was into it at the time. Right. I was into the... The project and all right. the players, but they also had bought the Anaheim Angels during the time that I was there. So I had to cover the purchase of a baseball team and then all the politics involved with that. So it was one of the most challenging, extraordinary periods of my career, actually, because it was stuff I didn't know well. Right, it was a different world. I had to grow. I had to learn. I had to learn corporate culture, big city politics. So there was lots that went on during that time. I loved it. And then when I went to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, Disney. Uh, was the studio that they assigned me. So, like, my second day, I was in the Rotunda, which is the executive dining room, with Nina Jacobson. Wow. Who went on to be the producer of The Hunger Games. She was head of production then. Nice. And so I covered the studio for The Hollywood Reporter, and then the Daily News job came along, and I jumped at that, and Disney was part of that beat. So I covered Disney Studios for... And are some part of Disney for for, for years. What what movie do you think of, of of those years? Is there, like, one that was, like... This was, oh, this was totally Lion King era. Oh, gosh. It's a different, I span different eras. Right. You know, obviously the, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise was right. launched during my watch, and that turned out to be more huge than anyone. But I think of all the clunkers. Right. The things that just, the Country Bears movie that just didn't go anywhere. And There was a Country Bears movie? There was a Country movie? Bears movie. Did it come out? Yes, and it came out like the wow. year I was at The Hollywood Reporter. And okay. Nina, Nina was so excited over lunch, I remember... She was pregnant, and she was eating a cheeseburger, and she was like, the country bears, and I thought, oh, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I can't wait. Right. So, you know, I just remember the, the flops, because those are always more interesting to yeah. write about. 
but I loved uh, covering them, and you know, uh, it's it's a it's a very good com- it's an interesting company yeah. to cover. They they yeah, especially all the Pixar stuff too. Now, a while ago, you said that you stepped on brains, and I didn't follow up <laughs> with where and when and why. I was covering a homicide. I forgot what city, but it was. I was with this. I don't want to say her name. I was with this photographer, and we got there so fast. And that happened a handful of times where you just got there so fast. There was no yellow tape up, so you don't know where the crime scene right. is. And somebody, a guy, had shot himself in the, sitting in the front seat of the car with his girlfriend. Oh. And so the brains went. I guess out the window, and so they were on the ground away from the car, and so we didn't know that there was going to be anything to avoid, and then we realized that we were standing in brains. Wow! And so that was sort of you know you never wanted to get there too fast. No, wait for the yellow. Tape. I wanted, and I I did several times. Got we'll there. Just, you know, fast. we're going to go through a Starbucks, then we'll then we'll get to the crime scene. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. But but the whole thing is because you want witnesses, right. so you just. Jam out you there. You got to get there. And you want to, what'd you see? What'd you see? And you just get it all. And and back then, when I was doing crime, we weren't really using tape recorders. You really wrote fast. You were writing everything down, which was great because then you could write it faster. Yeah. And now we all use recorders. You have to transcribe. Transcribe and, and all that. So I still take notes at things that I know I have to write about that night because otherwise it's just too time consuming. I did like in Spotlight with Rachel McAdams when she took yeah. notes. Yeah. She really took notes. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when uh, actors play journalists, right. they don't do it right. Yeah. Or they don't have the tape recorder right. I'm like, that's not. And then, but Rachel McAdams was like, scrawly, 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 scrawly. She was Very super, authentic. Right? Did you notice that? Very authentic. Thank you. And I have to tell you, seeking the Spotlight, Liev Schreiber. He's so fucking odd. Has he been your morning man before? He has. As yeah. has his brother. Maybe it's time I to I love the back. brother. Yeah. Uh, but he played Marty Baron who was my editor at the LA Times. Oh, wow. For three years, who was the best editor I ever had, who I hated at the time, because he was so tough in what he was expecting of you. So, of course, you resent it, because you're like, but you don't know till later how great he was. And how what much. made him so great? He was very no-nonsense, no drama about it. He was all about the story, all about the, the well journalism. in Spotlight, he was sort of the one that was like, "There's something here, right?" Oh yeah, wasn't he the driving force? Yeah. That's the way I remember. Totally, the movie. he was the driving force. Then once and then once you are doing the story, you can totally depend on him for guidance about what is ethical, what's the smart thing to do, what's the logical thing to do. He didn't have the emo. He he was a very flat kind of personality, right. and and so you know he was always very calm and collected. But when you're in the heat of deadline and you're exhausted, when somebody says, "Well, what about this? I saw this hole," you're but like, "Nobody oh, else let saw." It go. You thought, "Oh my god!" Yeah, you know, and that happened plenty of times. And and then after a while, you realize that his standards are your standards because he brought you up. Wow, that's that cool. Level. Are there times today where you think of him? Oh, when you're working on something all the time. That's so cool. And a few other editors. Yeah. A few other editors I think of all the time. Because they just took you up. And then so whoever you work for after that's easier because you don't turn in copy with holes. You don't turn in copy that's not readable. I always think turn it in as it should go in the paper. Yeah. You don't need somebody to save you. You know, it's nice when you have another pair of eyes that maybe can, if there's time. But these days on the internet, you have to write it. It has to be ready and it goes right on. I do think yeah. for me in terms of like writing movie stuff or screenplays or things that I'm trying to do because of my background in journalism yeah I I'm used to what I send goes out right so there's sort of, you know what I mean there right. I do have that mindset of like oh you have to be okay with this if it were 
yes. to go out to be the one to be the you know the, yeah. the, the, the no placeholders. You the gotta, buck stops with you. Yeah, there is and that you have to sense. take responsibility. Yeah, and and I I'm totally for that now. But I remember you know in newspapers we had like three pairs of eyes before it went in the paper. Yeah, and there was a certain safety in that because they would catch stuff. But now. It's all up to you, and so that's a big responsibility. It's a lot. <laughs> Has there been an interview that just went south that was not good? Uh, I've told my Shannon Doherty story on this podcast more than once. I used to do, for about five years or more, I did every cover story for a magazine called Orange Coast. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I did all the celebrity covers, and a few of them went awry. Um... Uh, William Shatner was a terrible interview. I hear he's tough. Yeah, that was terrible. I did a phoner with him once, and he was okay. And Tony Danza was surprisingly not fun. That's surprisingly... That's surprising. Surprisingly not fun. Glenn Close, uh, when I called her house, she was on the East Coast, and she wasn't there. And so she called me back. And I said, uh, oh, hi. And then she's like, "Um, so do you want to call me back? And I said, no, I can talk now. It's fine. She says, well, shouldn't this be on your dime? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's a fantastic story. Yes, and unfortunately, it was a magazine puff piece. Right. Uh, and so I couldn't lead with that, but I yeah. would have rather. And uh, they also had me do Lauren Bacall. And she's tough, right? She's tough if you don't know her career. Right. If you know her career. She's into it. She's into it. I knew her Broadway career. Right. That's her pride and joy. But I called her in London at 3 in the morning, my time, because that's the only time they could do it. And... They didn't put me through the right room. And so when I finally called her, it was about seven minutes late. And her first words to me were, you're late. Right. Imagine. Oh, my God. And, 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 and I had done us because I had to stay up at three in the morning, I ended up watching to have and have not just to kill time. Well, that that's their most iconic film. Right. And so I was just so starstruck and then and then have her yell at me. Uh, but you, how'd you get it back on track? Oh, it just, I laughed, or I said somebody put me, it was easily on track. It got so far back on track, and she was great. She was great. And I really had a lot of admire, uh, I really had a lot of admiration for her because of her ability to reinvent herself. Yeah. um, In ways that set such a high standard. Yeah. Everything she did was was really first rate. I interviewed Faye Dunaway for Us Magazine, and she kept me waiting four and a half hours. Mm. Oh, God. Um, yeah, because they did it after the photo shoot, which is always a disaster. Yes. Because uh, yes. the photo shoots always run long or they're, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but once we did it, it was okay. It was yeah. at the Ivy. And she liked my questions. I, I asked some of the type of questions I'm going to ask you here, okay. here in a second. Yeah. And she seemed to spark to them. So it was okay, but yeah. Yeah. It's You just never know. But the more you do, um, my first one ever. My first Hollywood interview ever was Diane Keaton. Oh, I'm such a fan. Was yeah, it cool? and it was for Orange Coast. Right. And what was cool was she calls you and sets it up. She drives herself. She just shows up at the polo lounge. Yeah. This is before it was boycotted right. at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Right. I, I've done interviews there before and seen her there. She yeah. was staying out there all I the time. I guess it was her place. Yeah. And we had tea and scones. And you want to ask her about Warren Beatty? Okay. Yeah. I mean, she was not accuracy yeah. to me, at least. I love I that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite interview? One uh, that you've done? I think mine was Carrie Fisher, probably. Oh, uh, I wish I'd done. I wish I yeah. wish. I did interview her mother. Yeah. A couple times, and I, I, that, I like that. But uh, you know who was so sweet was uh, Mariska Hargitay. 
Really? That's cool. Yeah. I'm talking one-on-ones. Yeah. Tons of fun red carpet stuff, but those yeah. go by so fast. But um, Who are you always excited to see when you're on the red carpet? Because I know I used to do that beat a little bit for us. Yeah. And there's never enough room where you're standing. Yeah. People are always... There's oh, like yeah. a little piece of paper oh, yeah. where you're supposed to be. Yeah. It's just yeah. like... Yeah. You have to be very thin. Uh, it's to, crazy. To, yeah. But certain people come and you're like, oh, good. I, I know I'll have a good quote. Yeah. As long as there are people who are game for it. The people who it's like pulling teeth, you never want to see them. But I was going to... I think it's one of the questions, but I'll, it's a good time to tell you. I have not been starstruck really by anyone where I feel it physically. Right. You're always excited to see Lauren Bacall or Elizabeth Taylor or Tom Cruise. Those are exciting. Those are icons. And you want to look at them up close and see what they look like. Um, but the only times I've ever felt like I'm gonna, my knees are going to buckle mm-hmm. was three times. And they make no sense to me. And maybe you can help me make sense. One, the first time it was with Jacqueline Smith. And it was at the opening. It was at the premiere party for Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, where she's had a little part in right. it. And my friend and I were just walking to the after party. We'd already seen everybody who was there, Drew Barrymore, Cameron, you know, okay, let's have some food. Well, Jacqueline Smith's sitting there with her husband, and we just said hi to her, and I felt my knees buckling. And I don't know if it was because maybe I watched Charlie's Angels as a I kid. I was obsessed with Charlie's yeah. Angels as a kid. But it, like, that's like, it, it goes right to your 13-year-old self. Yes. However old so you I are. felt my heart, yeah. and I was like, Woozy, and we ended up getting a photo, and she was, had her husband take it, and she was so nice and tiny. And the other time, and I would have t- had her do the hat tilt. Remember I, from the opening <laughs> credits? Yeah, I turned whip tilt. I did not have the presence of mind. No, I would not either. <laughs> you were so. Who else were? And the other stars time out? was so odd. It was Natalie Cole. Okay. And it was at a pre Emmy party, and the same feeling that had happened with Jacqueline Smith. I, that one I can't explain. I can't well, I had, her, I had her records. Yeah. And so I think that, that I think so. And sorry, there's a That's pit okay. bull who's visiting us. That's all right. Uh, named Grace. But anyway, uh, it was Natalie Cole. I had to compose myself for that one. Couldn't have been nicer. I witnessed her many times with fans, completely down to earth, will sign every autograph and actually have a real conversation with you. That's awesome. So she was cool. The third time, this is the strangest was Pam and Judd from Real World, Real, the Real World San Francisco season. The right. One with Pedro. Yeah, the Pedro season. It was like season three. I met them at Outfest Fusion, and I... Recently. I got, uh, just... This was about seven, eight years ago. Okay. It was the first week of Greg in Hollywood. Okay, cool. And maybe because I'd watched every episode ten times, something about the Pedro year that really resonated with me because he was this HIV this guy with AIDS who ended up dying of AIDS right. who was living with straight people who accepted him something about it resonated I was coming out in a big way at the time so I think that was part of it too but those are three times where I actually felt a little faint that's amazing yeah but that's, that's it yeah. well that was one of your questions from the observation deck yeah. so we'll tomorrow. <laughs> what movie have you seen more than any other postcards from the edge oh that's cool yes it's a good one what's your favorite line oh so many of them, yeah. maybe. My, I have a friend. He's an editor at the LA Times now. We used to sit to, by each other, and then we found out the other was gay, and then we found out that both are obsessed with Postcards from the Edge. So we would go to coffee every day, and he, he would always have to be Doris, and um, Shirley MacLaine's character, and we would just do lines. And this this lasted for years. I mean, you know, we would just we had other conversations, but we had fallen into lines that sort of melded into our our own conversations, our certain tone to a voice or a certain something and it would launch us into a line it was actually kind of a brilliant thing so 
I know that entire movie. I love it. But we love all of uh, Shirley MacLaine's very diva. It twirled up. It twirled up. And then all of Meryl Streep's muttering under the breath. Yeah. uh, Much more, um, you know, uh, subdued performance. But anyway, it's brilliant writing, which is Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. What's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once? <laughs> this was not long ago. I have something on Sunday called Morning Man Classic. It's somebody who was either teen idol or maybe a star in the You just did James Franciscus. I just did James Franciscus. Right. Yeah. And I did Grant Goodeve, who played... Fuck yeah, David Bradford. David Bradford. He the... sang the song. Right. Okay, so was he just the hottest... Well, I was obsessed with Lily Ames, and I wanted him to take me into his Tommy Bradford van and... And do his angel flight pants and he whatever. He had some great hair, didn't he? Oh, he did. He had he had Halle Berry hair from the Oscars. He did. Yes. I stand by that Halle Berry hair, by the way, because for years she's worn the same hair, and we're like, change your hair. That's and true. And she finally does goes big, and yeah. people turn on her, but I, not, but not me. She went really big. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Grant yes, Goodeve. she did. Well, Grant Goodeve, he was my Morning Man classic. I think it was like last year. Well, his publicist is somebody who I know pretty well so that guy the publicist name's jeffrey ballard he arranged for without me knowing for for grant to call me to say thanks and thank god i didn't answer because i wouldn't have had this amazing voicemail from grant goodeve i want to hear it maybe not on the thing yeah i'd have to fight it yes okay and it was he was so tickled by the whole thing and 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 i had a, a voicemail from him so that's one of my one of my favorites Remember, I remember he sang the theme. Yes. And we spent... Okay, no, no, I know, time. yeah. <laughs> what was your most glamorous night? Oh, why did I put that in there? Uh, you know, anytime you're at the Oscars, which I went to maybe six or seven, that is, even though you're working, you are in a tux, you are on the red carpet, you're around everyone, so I would say any Oscars... Would, would be it. Where would you go? Were you doing the red carpet in the press room? I do the red carpet, and then I would go back to the press room, and then right. do the questions, you know, the press right. conferences back there. And uh, so that's that was my job, usually. And, um, you know, I loved every minute of it. So I'd, I'd have to say the Academy Awards, it doesn't get more glamorous than that. That's true. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst job you ever had? The worst job I ever had. Are we talking journalism or non-journalism? Whatever you think. Non-journalism was my first job. I lied and said I was 16, and I got hired at something called Pioneer Chicken. I remember Pioneer Chicken. Yeah. It's like fast food. Yes. And they, I, I wasn't promoted to the counter. You weren't an order I was taker. In the, I was an order taker at Burger King. I didn't even take orders. Right. I was in the back making chicken. That's all I did. Yeah. And they would yell back, 20 chicken wings. I lasted a month, but I would have nightmares about people yelling, 20, you know, 30, you know, 50 wings and all that. So that's the worst job. And then uh, I I, I had a job in politics that didn't... What was it like to be in politics? It was different. Uh, I worked for a state assemblyman. I was his communications director. And I I was just thinking journalism isn't going to be, you know, it's not... It's it's dying, you know. It's yeah. It's so I better go. So I need to find something else. I need to find something yeah. else. And so uh, you know, I think a lot of politics is uh, you know dealing with with phone calls and letters. That was a lot of it. I also one part I loved about it though was 
making presentations in the community and certificates and people. I remember I gave a certificate to a woman, a proclamation, who was 90 years old, a volunteer at the free clinic for decades and decades. And she was honored and I got to present her and it meant so much to her and she was shaking. She died the next week. Wow. And I was, that was like. Paper cut? No. <laughs> but I love that part about it. But otherwise, you know, you have to sort of go by what the person who is the office holder, what their views are, the way they want to handle it. And if you've been a journalist who's just seeking truth and not spin, it's a big adjustment. Yeah, I it's would think. It's a big adjustment. You who have, was it? Is he still in politics? He has termed out. His name is Mike Gatto. Right. He was uh, the Glendale, um, Burbank area. Right on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, any award show stories? We sort of talked about the Oscars, but were there other awards? Well, one of the big... I remember this. I'll never forget this. I, I used to cover the Golden Globes every year, and that's crazy. You know, that's just crazy, especially the parties after. You know, they're all in the same hotel, yeah. so that's crazy. But the Golden Globes, this particular year, it was the year of Dream Girls. Okay, so I'm standing... Uh, Backstage, probably and, 2007. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I was standing backstage uh, with, and they just bring up all the winners. And so I'm leaning against a pole because I was tired of sitting. Jennifer Hudson's next to me, and next to her is Beyonce. So I'm kind of, and on stage is the cast of Grey's Anatomy, and that's boring when you have a whole big group. And yeah. so I'm sort of staring at Beyonce and. Um, Jennifer Hudson, just, boy, you know, I wonder if they like each other. I remember having that thought. When Isaiah Washington, they asked him about something, about T.R. Knight or something, and he said, I never called T.R. a faggot, which reignited the entire... Uh, oh, so this is in the press room. This is in the press room. Because they, he and Patrick Dempsey had had that fight. Right, right, right. And uh, on the set of Grey's Anatomy, and Isaiah Washington had referred to T.R. Knight as a faggot, saying, I'm not your faggot like T.R. So T.R. had to come out because everyone wanted to know who he was talking about. Right. And so it sort of simmered down, and then uh, Isaiah just, it erupted again when he right. repeated the slur and denied making it again. So I remember just one minute I'm staring, oh, how lovely they are. I wonder if they like each other. To suddenly hearing, and then, oh, my God, I've got to go back and write. Yeah. So that was one of the more interesting ones. But I, I have a, a quick uh, Oscar nominees luncheon. Have you been to that no. one? The Oscar nominees luncheon is secretly, not secretly, but one of the lesser known best things you ever go to. Yeah. Um, all they're, the, they're all there. They're all there. They're all relaxed. It's in the daytime. It's at the Beverly Hilton. You don't know where you're going to sit, even the journalists. So you, as you come in, you get a ball out of one of those hoppers or whatever they call it, And that's when you find out. My oh, so you're, shot, you're sat randomly. You're sat, seated randomly. Wow. With nominees and other people. So I sit down, and who sits down next to me is Jennifer Hudson. Wow. And across was Curtis Hansen, who recently died. Yeah. Uh, directed yeah. LA Confidential. Yeah. Just so much fun with his wife. Oh. And Jennifer, the whole time, we did small talk and everything, but she's texting her mother. And it's especially poignant because her mother ended up being murdered yeah. a year or two later. And so that was, you know, quite I like Jay Hud. She was great, right? She was great. I've uh, interviewed her before. She was great. a little shy then. She's so come out since then. Right. At that time, it was... And she asked me, she said, what's his name? Because behind us was Mark Wahlberg and Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow. Right behind. Like, they're, they're here and they're right... Okay, so Jennifer asked, what's his name? I said, Mark Wahlberg. Because she wanted a photo with him. Right. So I took a photo 
of her with Mark Wahlberg. I don't know if DiCaprio was in it or not. Right. But I also remember that I could hear everything they were saying, and and um, it was very interesting to hear there. They were such film lovers, especially Leonardo. Yeah. And uh, very nice. But the next year, I thought, how can you top that? Were you who were you writing for then? Hollywood Reporter. The Daily News. Daily News. Right. And the next year, I thought you can't top that. Well. I was at a table. There was one seat next to me. We didn't know who it was going to be. I just love that you show up there, and you get you got a chance to sit next to the biggest to anybody. It's not hierarchy. It's no. like random. It's, it's random. What's so, like that in Hollywood? Nothing. Nothing. That's why that's a really incredible yeah thing. And so I'm sitting there. There's one seat empty at our table. In comes George Clooney. That's where he's sitting. Oh my god! Next to me, and on the other side of me is this a woman named Colleen Atwood who won the yeah, Oscar this year. So we had a we had already chatting, we had a great time and 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 I've seen, since watched her win two or three Oscars. She's yeah. amazing. But Clooney was very nice and we chatted with him and and then right after the salad, he sees Casey Affleck no, Javier Bardem. He sees Javier Bardem. He gets up and he never comes back. And Colleen and I made a total jokes about it. I took a picture of his plate. It ended up being a column for the Daily News. How right. he stood us up right. for lunch. So lots of fun. I'm sad to not go to that one anymore. But that's a very exclusive. I think each yes. publication can just You always get... see the picture of it with they're all there like a yeah. class and a yearbook. Yeah. All very right. Fun. That's cool. Who were yeah. your teen crushes? My biggest teen crush, my first, was Kent McCord from Adam 12. One Adam 12. Played Jim Reed. Right. I mean, I didn't even know why I liked him, you know, until 12 or something. You're like, okay, I guess I'm, I like boys, but, you're, you know. And the best part about that was when I got to the Daily News, before I started doing all the real ritzy Hollywood stuff, I was their union report. I covered all of Hollywood, but I had the studios and things, and I was covering the unions. And Kent was the vice president of Screen Actors Guild. So, like, one of my first weeks, I'm attending this thing, and there he is. And I have to interview him. Wow. And so that was lots of fun. And then I ended up interviewing him many times over the years. And we had a good rapport. He thought I was fair. Um, and there was a lot of contentious things going on in the union at the time. So I got to know him a little bit. And uh, he, was, he was very nice. So it was kind of uh, nice to have somebody who uh, was just as cool, probably off screen as he seemed. Like a good guy. Yeah. You know. And still looking good. Yeah. Silver Fox. Silver Fox. I think he passed recently. Am I no, wrong? that was Martin Milner. Okay. All right. Yeah. What was your lowest point professionally? I like when people pick that. <laughs> Which one? What was your lowest oh. point professionally? <laughs> well, I think a uh, couple... I had a couple years at the Times where I had some beats I really didn't like. Yeah. And I, you learn about yourself because I realized it was hard for me to function and be happy if I didn't really believe in what I was doing and have total enthusiasm because it asks a lot of you. I think the journalism profession asks a lot of you, especially if it's a demanding beat or a paper of record. You've got to give it all you have. And so you really want to believe in it and enjoy it. And otherwise, it's bad for you. So I had some times like that. What were the beats? Um, well, I, one of them was workplace issues. I had moved right. over to the business section as the restaurant industry reporter, which I loved. But then New Regime comes in and says, that's not an important beat. We want you to do workplace issues. and. It led to me actually leaving and moving over to the Hollywood Reporter. Right. But uh, I, that was tough. And, um, and then when I got laid off, because, the reason that was painful was because all my choices in my career had led to that job. 
leaving the Times, leaving the Hollywood Reporter, and then getting for Daily News and that job itself shifting and becoming a columnist. And finally getting right, to Right, you were really sweet kind spot. Of where you felt like you right. belonged. And it's you and and it was my picture on the column on the blog, you become sort of a brand, you're getting access to things that you had never been, you know, Lainey Kazan calls, can we have lunch? You're living you know, the dream. You're living the dream. And 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 then it is ripped out from under you. So it was more than losing a job and income and stability. Also, a family-like atmosphere at that paper. It was my favorite job ever because of the people. Uh, the Times is more competitive, a little more cutthroat um, with each other. Not that you don't have friends from there, but it, it's a little more right. intense. Where the Daily News is more of a family and people root for each other. And so I really loved it there. I was there almost eight years. And so losing that job was very devastating, but I didn't let myself feel it for a long time because I dove into the blog and then you, you know, it's like a year later. When like, did it hit you? I think about a year later. And how did it hit you? Um, just longing, missing, I think the newsroom and right. also it's harder to get access to events, to get interviews. So you have to work harder and you're realizing all that you lost, Yeah. but it teaches you about resilience it shows you who you are. That's what I learned from that. It shows you really who you are. I had never lost a job before, especially with those kind of circumstances. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't losing a job isn't nice and they can't, they can only be so nice about it. They really are right. sort of killing you. But then you're like, I will not be killed, <laughs> you know? And so you have to reinvent yourself and you know, I had a lot of people who were very supportive and I wanted to continue. I didn't want to just jump into another job uh, that was nine to five or didn't quite fit. So that's why I kind of went my own way and, and tried to be able to continue to feel passionate about it. And it's working out. It's been working out. Yeah. It's been eight years. It's fantastic. Because the anniversary of my blog is the anniversary of my layoff. There you go. It's easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Who's your most surprising fan? Well, the, I always love to find out who's reading the blog and one of the things that happened was I was at an Outfest event and I met um, Craig Zayden. I don't know. Right, if Neil Marin and Craig Zayden. Neil Marin and Craig Zayden, the prolific producers of Broadway shows, and we should name a few: Bye Bye Birdie and and How to Was It? Which, how to Succeed with Business? What's their TV stuff? Smash, Smash, and Footloose. Right. Uh, I think they both do a lot of the live. All the live the Wiz, ones. I think. The yeah. Wiz. The NBC stuff. All the NBC stuff. Yeah. Um, so, great. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. So I meet Craig Zayden for the first time, and he was going to be honored, and, and I meet him at the party, and he says, well, thank you so much for writing about this this morning. I was like, oh, you saw that? He says, well, I read you every morning. I said, oh, yeah, thanks. And then he, he looks at me. He goes, I read you every morning. And he like, I'm not kidding, you know, is what he's saying. And so... I was so. I got chills when yeah, you did that. I was so complimented that <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this. That for like a week. Oh, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> for like a week after that, I everything I was doing, say, like, what would Craig think of this? Every post, right? You know, and then you find out other people. I, I've met Rich Ross, who used to be head of Disney right, production. I know he, he came up to me at an event. I read you all the time. I love your blog. Wait a minute. Are you kidding me? So you don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard from Margaret Cho. I've heard, you know, you hear from these people or they know who you are. And it's surprising because you don't really, you get the numbers, but you don't really know. Right. Um, 
So that those you know that's that's those have been nice. I, think I love that. That was one of my favorite ones, and Craig did that just because he's such a mover and a shaker. Well, and he made a point to he knew what it meant to you to hear that. He really said, "I'm not just blowing smoke. Yeah, I really read you. That's cool. So that was nice. Um, <laughs> what uh, social media and stuff would you like to plug? Because Greg in Hollywood.com yes. is the blog. Yes, and my um, Twitter is at Greg Hernandez. Okay, and my Instagram is Greg in Hollywood. Right. And so I, I really want more Instagram followers because I'm a little late to that. I've just been doing it for about the past year. All right. And so I, I do post about three or four photos a day on Instagram. And I, I do a lot of tweets. And then my Facebook is just Greg and I'm sorry, it's just Greg Hernandez. Right on. Um, you can just follow me and you'll get all the posts. Do you overlap the posts from your blog to Gay Star News? Are they, is there ever any similar? Sometimes, but yeah. I try not to because right. I try to keep them separate. Or I try and sort of gregify a Gay right. Star News piece. Um, but sometimes I use... It, it, sometimes there's some trading off. There you go. But it's not too... But I they're not word for word. No, no. I try not to ever yeah. do that unless I just have no time. Uh, or sometimes I'll just say... Go over to Greg or Gay Star News and see this story that I did because yeah. I don't have time for anything else. You know, because if there's something that really took all your time that day, yeah, yeah. So, well, this has been really fun. Thank you for doing oh, this. Last question: Why yes. do you love what you do? Oh, uh, um, it gives me endorphins. You know, it gives me uh, adrenaline. So I know I love it, but I think the reason I love it is I get to be engaged. You know, and I get to talk to people and ask questions and have an excuse to ask them. And, you know, you just get to be a part of things. I even liked that when it wasn't entertainment. You just get to, I used to always say you get a front row seat. And so I like to do that. I, I think, you know, if you were a shy kid who was sort of afraid of everything, once you come out of that, you see the world as your oyster if you are willing to go for it. That's so, awesome. You were that yeah. shy kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I started coming out of it in high school just because I thought, being shy, you will get nothing. Right. You will get nothing. You will not be around the people you want to be around. So I sort of made myself. But then once you become a reporter, whatever your nature is, you will get out of it because you have to do your job. And you have to ask questions of people all the time, whether they're uncomfortable or whatever. If you were shy at all and you really did some hard news, <laughs> you got over it pretty quickly. I love that. Yeah. All right, this has been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you so much, here. Greg. Thank you. All right, Dennis. check out his blog, greginhollywood.com. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Greg Hernandez. Check out his blog, Greg in Hollywood. Um, all right, so this happened. I had a date, an OkCupid date, my first in a while, and uh, it was a gentleman that lived downtown, and he was a pediatric doctor. And I went down there and I met him and, you know, he looked like his pictures, he was attractive or whatever. Um, like one of the very first things he said to me, um, I don't even think we'd sat down at the restaurant we were going to. We were walking on the street and I said, um, that I liked when I came downtown. I said, what's it like to live down here? Do you like it? And he's like, yeah, it's great. He goes, there's a lot of, um, professionals, a lot of business people and doctors and lawyers and... He goes, you know, there's none of those, like, Hollywood people that are, like, 40 and still waiting for Steven Spielberg to call. And first of all, I took offense to that, but I'm over 40, thank you, and also I would settle for Hank Spielberg to call at this point. My, my point is, this guy had real contempt for um, 
creative strugglers, basically the people I have on this podcast, including myself, it was so palpable and it was so intense. I was like, I wanted to say to him, who hurt you? Was there somebody with a bunch of screenplays that never got finished that, that broke your heart? No, but it was really a lot. And so, yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing him again, but, um, I think that's his loss because he doesn't have fun, creative people in his life. Anyway, that's my story. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.